0: Chapter Thirteen, Part One, of the Influence of Sea Power upon History, sixteen sixty to seventeen eighty three, by Alfred Thayer Mahan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen: Events in the West Indies after the Surrender of Yorktown encounters of de grasse with hood the sea battle of the saints seventeen eighty one to seventeen eighty two the surrender of cornwallis marked the end of the active war upon the american continent the issue of the struggle was indeed assured upon the day when france devoted her sea power to the support of the colonists but as not uncommonly happens the determining characteristics of a period were summed up in one striking event from the beginning the military question owing to the physical characteristics of the country a long seaboard with estuaries penetrating deep into the interior and the consequent greater ease of movement by water than by land had hinged upon the control of the sea and the use made of that control its misdirection by sir william howe in seventeen seventy seven when he moved his army to the chesapeake instead of supporting burgoyne's advance opened the way to the startling success at saratoga when amazed europe sought six thousand regular troops surrendering to a body of provincials during the four years that followed until the surrender of yorktown the scales rose and fell according as the one navy or the other appeared on the scene or as english commanders kept touch with the sea or pushed their operations far from its support finally at the great crisis all is found depending upon the question whether the french or the english fleet should first appear and upon their relative force the maritime struggle was at once transferred to the west indies the events which followed there were antecedent in time both to suffren's battles and to the final relief of gibraltar but they stand so much by themselves as to call for separate treatment and have such close relation to the conclusion of the war and the conditions of peace as to form the dramatic finale of the one and the stepping-stone of transition to the other it is fitting indeed that a brilliant though indecisive naval victory should close the story of an essentially naval war the capitulation of yorktown was completed on the nineteenth of october seventeen eighty one and on the fifth of november de grasse resisting the suggestions of lafayette and washington that the fleet should aid in carrying the war farther south sailed from the chesapeake he reached martinique on the twenty sixth the day after the marquis de bouillet commanding the french troops in the west indies had regained by a bold surprise the dutch island of st eustatius the two commanders now concerted a joint expedition against barbados which was frustrated by the violence of the trade winds foiled here the french proceeded against the island of st christopher or st kitts on the eleventh of january seventeen eighty two the fleet carrying six thousand troops anchored on the west coast off basetera the chief town no opposition was met the small garrison of six hundred men retiring to a fortified post ten miles to the northwest on brimstone hill a solitary precipitous height overlooking the lee shore of the island the french troops landed and pursued but the position being found too strong for assault siege operations were begun the french fleet remained at anchor in Basseterre road meanwhile news of the attack was carried to sir samuel hood who had followed de grasse from the continent and in the continued absence of rodney was naval commander-in-chief on the station he sailed from barbados on the fourteenth anchored at antigua on the twenty first and there embarked all the troops that could be spared about seven hundred men on the afternoon of the twenty third the fleet started for st Kitts, carrying such sail as would bring it within striking distance of the enemy at daylight next morning the english having but twenty-two ships to the french twenty-nine and the latter being generally superior in force class for class it is necessary to mark closely the lay of the land in order to understand hood's original plans and their subsequent modifications for resultless as his attempt proved his conduct during the next three weeks forms the most brilliant military effort of the whole war the islands of st kitts and nevis being separated only by a narrow channel impracticable for ships of the line are in effect one and their common axis lying northwest and it it is necessary for sailing ships with the trade wind to round the southern extremity of nevis from which position the wind is fair to reach all anchorages on the lee side of the islands Basseter is about twelve miles distant from the western point of nevis fort charles and its roadstead lies east and west the french fleet were anchored there in disorder three or four deep not expecting attack and the ships at the west end of the road could not reach those at the east without beating to windward a tedious and under fire a perilous process a further most important point to note is that all the eastern ships were so placed that vessels approaching from the southward could reach them with the usual wind hood therefore we are told intended to appear at early daylight in order of and ready for battle and fall upon the eastern ships filing by them with his whole fleet thus concentrating the fire of all upon a few of the enemy he proposed first wearing and then tacking to keep his fleet circling in long procession past that part of the enemy's ships chosen for attack the plan was audacious but undeniably sound in principle some good could hardly fail to follow and unless de grasse showed more readiness than he had hitherto done even decisive results might be hoped for the best-laid plans however may fail and hoods was balked by the awkwardness of a lieutenant of the watch who hove to stopped a frigate at night ahead of the fleet and was consequently run down by a ship of the line the latter also received such injury as delayed the movement several hours being lost in repairing damages the french were thus warned of the enemy's approach and although not suspecting his intention to attack de grasse feared that hood would pass down to leeward of him and disturb the siege of brimstone hill an undertaking so rash for an inferior force that it is as difficult to conceive how he could have supposed it as to account for his overlooking the weakness of his own position at anchor at one p m of the twenty fourth the english fleet was seen rounding the south end of nevis at three de grasse got under way and stood to the southward toward sundown hood also went about and stood south as though retreating but he was well to windward of his opponent and maintained this advantage through the night at daybreak both fleets were to leeward of nevis the english near the island the french about nine miles distant some time was spent in manoeuvring with the object on hood's part of getting the french admiral yet more to leeward for having failed in his first attempt he had formed the yet bolder intention of seizing the anchorage his unskilful opponent had left and establishing himself there in an impregnable manner in this he succeeded as will be shown but to understand the justification for a movement confessedly hazardous it must be pointed out that he thus would place himself between the besiegers of brimstone hill and their fleet or if the latter anchored near the hill the english fleet would be between it and its base in martinique ready to intercept supplies or detachments approaching from the southward in short the position in which hood hoped to establish himself was on the flank of the enemy's communications a position the more advantageous because the island alone could not long support the large body of troops so suddenly thrown upon it moreover both fleets were expecting reinforcements rodney was on his way and might arrive first which he did and in time to save st kitts which he did not it was also but four months since yorktown the affairs of england were going badly something must be done something left to chance and hood knew himself and his officers it may be added that he knew his opponent at noon when the hillsides of nevis were covered with expectant and interested sightseers the english fleet rapidly formed its line on the starboard tack and headed north for Basseterre. the french at the moment were in column steering south but went about at once and stood for the enemy in a bow-and-quarter line at two the british had got far enough for hood to make signal to anchor at twenty minutes past two the van of the french came within gunshot of the english centre and shortly afterward the firing began the assailants very properly directing their main effort upon the english rear ships which as happens with most long columns had opened out a tendency increased in this case by the slowness of the fourth ship from the rear the prudent the french flagship ville de paris of one hundred and twenty guns bearing de grasse's flag pushed for the gap thus made but was foiled by the canada seventy-four whose captain cornwallis the brother of lord cornwallis threw all his sails aback and dropped down in front of the huge enemy to the support of the rear an example nobly followed by the resolution and the bedford immediately ahead of him the scene was now varied and animated in the extreme the english van which had escaped attack was rapidly anchoring in its appointed position the commander-in-chief in the centre proudly reliant upon the skill and conduct of his captains made signal for the ships ahead to carry a press of sail and gain their positions regardless of the danger to the threatened rear the latter closely pressed and outnumbered stood on unswervingly shortened sail and came to anchor one by one in a line ahead under the roar of the guns of their baffled enemies the latter filed by delivered their fire and bore off again to the southward leaving their former berths to their weaker but clever antagonists the anchorage thus brilliantly taken by hood was not exactly the same as that held by de grasse the day before but as it covered and controlled it his claim that he took up the place the other had left is substantially correct the following night and morning were spent in changing and strengthening the order which was finally established as follows the van ship was anchored about four miles southeast from bossitara so close to the shore that a ship could not pass inside her nor with the prevailing wind even reach her because of a point and shoal just outside covering her position from this point the line extended in a west-northwest direction to the twelfth or thirteenth ship from a mile and a quarter to a mile and a half where it turned gradually but rapidly to north the last six ships being on a north and south line hood's flagship the barfleur of ninety guns was at the apex of the salient angle thus formed it would not have been impossible for the french fleet to take the anchorage they formerly held but it and all others to leeward were forbidden by the considerations already stated so long as hood remained where he was it became necessary therefore to dislodge him but this was rendered exceedingly difficult by the careful tactical dispositions that have been described his left flank was covered by the shore any attempt to enfilade his front by passing along the other flank was met by the broadsides of the six or eight ships drawn up en potence to the rear the front commanded the approaches to Bassatera to attack him in the rear from the northwest was forbidden by the trade wind to these difficulties was to be added that the attack must be made under sail against ships at anchor to whom loss of spars would be of no immediate concern and which having springs out could train their broadsides over a large area with great ease nevertheless both sound policy and mortification impelled de grasse to fight which he did the next day january twenty sixth the method of attack in single column of twenty-nine ships against a line so carefully arranged was faulty in the extreme but it may be doubted whether any commander of that day would have broken through the traditional fighting order hood had intended the same but he hoped a surprise on an ill-ordered enemy and at the original french anchorage it was possible to reach their eastern ships with but slight exposure to concentrated fire not so now the french formed to the southward and steered for the eastern flank of hood's line as their van ship drew up with the point already mentioned the wind headed her so that she could only reach the third in the english order the first four ships of which using their springs concentrated their guns upon her this vessel was supposed by the english to be the pluton and if so her captain was d'albert de in suffren's opinion the foremost officer of the french navy the crash occasioned by their destructive broadsides wrote an english officer who was present was so tremendous that whole pieces of plank were seen flying from her offside ere she could escape the cool concentrated fire of her determined adversaries as she proceeded along the british line she received the first fire of every ship in passing she was indeed in so shattered a state as to be compelled to bear away for st eustatius and so ship after ship passed by running the length of the line distributing their successive fires in gallant but dreary ineffectual monotony over the whole extent a second time that day de grasse attacked in the same order but neglecting the english van directed his effort upon the rear and centre this was equally fruitless and seems to have been done with little spirit from that time until the fourteenth of february hood maintained his position in sight of the french fleet which remained cruising in the offing and to the southward on the first a despatch vessel arrived from Compenfelt, informing him of the dispersal of the french reinforcements for the west indies which must have renewed his hopes that his bold attempt would be successful through rodney's arrival it was not however to be so brimstone hill surrendered on the twelfth after a creditable defence on the thirteenth de grasse took his fleet now amounting to thirty-three ships of the line to nevis and anchored there on the night of the fourteenth Hood had summoned all his captains on board had them set their watches by his and at eleven p m one after another without noise or signal cut their cables and made sail to the northward passing round that end of the island unnoticed or at least unmolested by the french both strategically and tactically hood's conceptions and dispositions were excellent and their execution was most honorable to the skill and steadiness of himself and his captains regarded as a single military operation this was brilliant throughout but when considered with reference to the general situation of england at the time a much higher estimate must be formed of the admiral's qualities st kitts in itself might not be worth a great risk but it was of the first importance that energy and audacity should be carried into the conduct of england's naval war that some great success should light upon her flag material success was not obtained the chances though fair enough turned against hood but every man in that fleet must have felt the glow of daring achievement the assured confidence which follows a great deed nobly done had this man been in chief command when greater issues were at stake had he been first instead of second at the chesapeake cornwallis might have been saved the operation seizing an anchorage left by the enemy would have been nearly the same and both situations may be instructively compared with suffren's relief of Cutler-lore the action of de grasse also should be considered not only with reference to the particular occasion but to the general condition of the war as well and when thus weighed and further compared with other very similar opportunities neglected by this general officer a fair estimate of his military capacity can be reached this comparison however is better deferred to the now not very distant close of the campaign the most useful comment to be made here is that his action in failing to crush hood at his anchors with a force at least fifty per cent greater was in strict accordance with the general french principle of subordinating the action of the fleet to so-called particular operations for nothing is more instructive than to note how an unsound principle results in disastrous action hood's inferiority was such as to weaken for offensive purposes his commanding position so long as de grasse kept to windward he maintained his communications with martinique and he was strong enough too to force communication when necessary with the troops before brimstone hill it was probable as the event showed that the particular operation the reduction of st Kitts would succeed despite the presence of the english fleet and the french navy has always preferred the glory of assuring a conquest to that more brilliant perhaps but less real of taking a few ships so far de grasse may be acquitted of any error beyond that of not rising above the traditions of his service some days however before the surrender of the island and the departure of the english fleet he was joined by two ships of the line which brought him word of the dispersal of the expected convoy and reinforcements from europe he then knew that he himself could not be strengthened before rodney's arrival and that by that event the english would be superior to him he had actually thirty-three ships of the line in hand and a few miles off lay twenty-two english in a position where he knew they would await his attack yet he let them escape his own explanation implies clearly that he had no intention of ta- attacking them at anchor the day after the capitulation of brimstone hill was the moment to watch hood closely and to fight him as soon as he got under way from the conquered island but our provisions were exhausted we had only enough for thirty-six hours some supply ships had arrived at nevis and you will admit one must live before fighting i went to nevis always to windward and in sight of the enemy a league and a half from him in order to take on board the necessary supplies as rapidly as possible hood decamped at night without signals and the next morning i found only the sick whom he left behind in other words hood having held his ground with consummate audacity and skill when he had some chance of successful resistance declined to await his adversary's attack under conditions overwhelmingly unfavourable what shall be said of this talk about provisions did not the comte de grasse know a month before how long to a day the supplies on board would last did he not know four days before hood sailed that he had with him every ship he could probably count on for the approaching campaign while the english would surely be reinforced and if the english position was as strong as good judgment professional skill and bold hearts could make it had it not weak points were not the lee ships to leeward if they did attempt to beat to windward had he not ships to contain them if the van ship could not be reached had he not force enough to double and treble on the third and following ships as far down the line as he chose a letter of suffren's referring to a similar condition of things at santa lucia but written three years before these events seems almost a prophetic description of them notwithstanding the slight results of the two cannonades of december fifteenth seventeen seventy eight we can yet expect success but the only way to attain it is to attack vigorously the squadron which in consequence of our superiority cannot hold out despite their land-works which will become of no effect if we lay them on board or anchor upon their buoys if we delay a thousand circumstances may save them they may profit by the night to depart there can be no doubt that the english would have sold their defeat dearly but results in war must be paid for and the best are in the long run the cheapest a tight grip of a few simple principles that the enemy's fleet was the controlling factor in the coming campaign that it was therefore his true objective that one fraction of it must be crushed without delay when caught thus separated would have saved de grasse a great blunder but it is only fair to note that it would have made him an exception to the practice of the french navy the hour was now close at hand when the french admiral should feel even if he did not admit the consequences of this mistake by which he had won a paltry island and lost an english fleet rodney had sailed from europe on the fifteenth of january with twelve ships of the line on the nineteenth of february he anchored at barbados and the same day hood reached antigua from st kitts on the twenty fifth the squadrons of rodney and hood met to windward of antigua forming a united fleet of thirty-four ships-of-the-line the next day de grasse anchored in fort royal thus escaping the pursuit which rodney at once began the english admiral then returned to st lucia where he was joined by three more ships-of-the-line from england raising his force to thirty-seven knowing that a large convoy was expected from france before the arrival of which nothing could be attempted rodney sent a part of his fleet to cruise to windward and as far north as guadeloupe but the officer in charge of the french convoy suspecting this action kept well north of that island and reached fort royal martinique on the twentieth of march the ships of war with him raised de grasse's fleet to thirty-three effective sail of the line and to fifty gun ships the object of the united efforts of france and spain this year was the conquest of jamaica it was expected to unite at cap francais now cap haitien in haiti fifty ships of the line and twenty thousand troops part of the latter were already at the rendezvous and de grasse appointed to command the combined fleets was to collect in martinique all the available troops and supplies in the french islands and convoy them to the rendezvous it was this junction that rodney was charged to prevent the region within which occurred the important operations of the next few days covers a distance of one hundred and fifty miles from south to north including the islands of st lucia martinique dominica and guadeloupe in the order named at this time the first was in english the others in french hands the final and for the moment decisive encounter took place between and a little to westward of dominica and guadeloupe these are twenty-three miles apart but the channel is narrowed to thirteen by three islets called the saints lying ten miles south of guadeloupe it is said to have been de Grasse's intention instead of sailing direct for Cap- to take a circuitous course near the islands which being friendly or neutral would give refuge to the convoy if pressed the close pursuit of the english who came up with him off dominica led him to forsake this plan sending the convoy into bassaterra at the south end of Guadeloupe while with the fleet he tried to beat through the channel and pass east of the island thus drawing the english away from the transports and ridding himself of the tactical embarrassment due to the latter's presence accidents to various ships thwarted this attempt and brought about a battle disastrous to him and fatal to the joint enterprise the anchorages of the two fleets in martinique and st lucia were thirty miles apart the prevailing east wind is generally fair to pass from one to the other but a strong westerly current and the frequency of calms and light airs tend to throw to leeward sailing ships leaving st lucia for the northern island a chain of frigates connected the english lookout ships off martinique by signal with rodney's flagship in grosilo bay everything was astir at the two stations the french busy with the multitudinous arrangements necessitated by a great military undertaking the english with less to do yet maintaining themselves in a state of expectancy and preparation for instant action that entails constant alertness and mental activity on the fifth of april rodney was informed that the soldiers were be embarked and on the eighth soon after daylight the lookout frigates were seen making signal that the enemy was leaving port the english fleet at once began to get under way and by noon was clear of the harbor to the number of thirty-six of the line at half past two p m the advanced frigates were in sight of the french fleet which was seen from the mastheads of the main body just before sundown the english stood to the northward all night and at daybreak of the ninth were abreast dominica but for the most part becalmed in shore of them to the northward and eastward were seen the french fleet and convoy the men-of-war numbering thirty-three of the line besides smaller vessels the convoy a hundred and fifty sail under special charge of the two fifty-gun ships the irregular and uncertain winds common to the night and early hours of the day near the land had scattered these unwieldy numbers fifteen sail of the line were in the channel between dominica and the saints with a fresh trade wind apparently beating to windward the remainder of the ships of war and most of the convoy were still becalmed close under dominica gradually however one by one the french ships were catching light airs off the land and by favor of these which did not reach so far as the english in the offing drew out from the island and entered the more steady breeze of the channel reinforcing the group which was thus possessed of that prime element of naval power mobility at the same time light airs from the southeast crept out to the english van under hood fanning it gently north from the main body of the fleet toward two isolated french ships which having fallen to leeward during the night had shared the calms that left the english motionless with their heads all round the compass they had come nearly within gunshot when a light puff from the northwest enabled the frenchmen to draw away and approach their own ships in the channel the farther the english van advanced, the fresher grew their wind until they fairly opened the channel of the saints and felt the trade wind de grasse signalled to the convoy to put into guadeloupe which order was so well carried out that they were all out of sight to the northward by two in the afternoon and will appear no more in the sequel the two french ships already spoken of as fallen to leeward not being yet out of danger from the english van which had now a commanding breeze and the latter being much separated from their rear and centre de grasse ordered his van to bear down and engage this was obeyed by the ship signalled and by three others in all by fourteen or fifteen the action beginning at half-past nine a m and lasting with intermissions until a quarter past one p m hood was soon forced to heave to in order not to increase too much his separation from the main fleet the french kept under way approaching from the rear and passing in succession at half cannon shot to windward as each ship drew ahead of the english division she tacked standing back to the southward until in position to resume her place in the order of attack thus describing a continuous irregular curve of elliptical form to windward of their opponents the brunt of the attack fell upon eight or nine of the english this number being successively increased as one ship after another as the baffling air served drew out from the calm space under dominica but the french received similar accessions while this engagement was going on, part of the English centre, eight ships with Rodney's flag among them, by carefully watching the puffs and cats' paws, had worked in with the land and caught the sea breeze, which was felt there sooner than in the offing. As soon as they had it, about eleven AM, they stood to the north, being now on the weather quarter both of the English van and its assailants. The latter, seeing this, tacked and abandoning the contest for the moment steered south to join their centre lest rodney's eight ships should get between them at half-past eleven the french again formed line on the starboard tack most of their ships being now clear of the land while the english rear was still becalmed the greater number of the french enabled them to extend from north to south along the length of the english line whereas the latter was still broken by great gap between the van and centre the attack upon hood was therefore hotly renewed but the french centre and rear having the wind kept their distance and held rodney's division at long range at quarter past one the french finding that the whole british line was coming up with the wind ceased firing and at two rodney hauled down the signal for battle the enemy having withdrawn this action of the ninth of april amounted actually to no more than an artillery duel one french ship the caton a sixty four received injuries which sent her into guadeloupe two english were disabled but repaired their injuries without leaving the fleet the material advantage therefore lay with the latter Opinions differ as to the generalship of the Comte de Grasse on this day, but they divide on the same basis of principle as to whether ulterior operations or the chances of beating the enemy's fleet are to determine an admiral's action. The facts of the case are these. Sixteen of the English fleet, all the rear and four of the centre, were not able at any time to fire a shot apparently every french ship first and last might have been brought into action at the beginning eight or nine english were opposed to fifteen french at the end there were twenty english to thirty-three french and these general proportions doubtless obtained throughout the four hours de grasse therefore found himself in the presence of a fleet superior to his own in numbers at least and by the favour of providence that fleet so divided that nearly half of it was powerless to act he had the wind he had a fine body of captains what was to prevent him from attacking hood's nine ships with fifteen putting one on each side of the six in the rear had those nine been thoroughly beaten rodney's further movements must have been hopelessly crippled the french lost only five in their defeat three days later the subsequent court-martial however laid down the french doctrine thus the decision to persist in engaging with only a part of our fleet may be considered as an act of prudence on the part of the admiral which might be dictated by the ulterior projects of the campaign on this a french professional writer naturally remarks that if an attack were made at all it would be more prudent to make it in force less injury would fall on individual ships while in the end the whole fleet would inevitably be drawn in to support any which by losing spars could not return to windward three times in one year had fortune thrown before de grasse the opportunity of attacking english fleets with decisive odds on his side her favors were now exhausted three days more were to show how decidedly the ulterior projects of a campaign may be affected by a battle and the loss of a few ships from the ninth to the morning of the twelfth the french fleet continued beating to windward between dominica and the saints in no regular order on the night of the ninth the english hove to to repair damages the next day the chase to windward was resumed but the french gained very decidedly upon their pursuers on the night of the tenth two ships the jason and Zelle, collided the Zelle was the bane of the french fleet during these days she was one of those that were nearly caught by the enemy on the ninth and was also the cause of the final disaster the injuries to the jason forced her to put into guadeloupe on the eleventh the main body was to windward of the saints but the zele and another had fallen so far to leeward that de grasse bore down to cover them thus losing much of the ground gained on the night following the Zelle was again in collision this time with de grasse's flagship the latter lost some sails but the other which had not the right of way and was wholly at fault carried away both foremast and bowsprit the admiral sent word to the frigate astray to take the Zelle in tow and here flits across the page of our story a celebrated and tragical figure for the captain of the Astre was the ill-fated explorer La Perouse, the mystery of whose disappearance, with two ships and their entire crews, remained so long unsolved two hours were consumed in getting the ship under way in tow of the frigate not very smart work under the conditions of weather and urgency but by five a m the two were standing away for bassetera where the caton and jason as well as the convoy had already arrived the french fleet had thus lost three from its line of battle since leaving martinique End of Chapter 13, Part 1